Hello, and welcome to the podcast that helps you win the race Christ has marked out for you. Today, we continue our series entitled Making a Difference for Christ in the Workplace. We've seen that our secular work itself makes a difference for Christ, but the workplace is also a central place where we fulfill another part of our mission. As followers of Christ, we know that he came to seek and to save the lost. Work is where we usually have shoulder-to-shoulder relationships with those who don't know Christ. So today's topic is maximizing your influence for Christ with your co-workers. Welcome again to Season 1, Episode number 18 of Mission Focus Men for Christ. My name is Gary Yeagle, and our topic today is being a contagious Christian in the workplace, but also in our neighborhoods and extended families. In his book, Becoming a Contagious Christian, Bill Hybels writes, In their heart of hearts, I think all true followers of Christ long to become contagious Christians. Though unsure about how to do so or the risks involved, deep down they sense that there isn't anything as rewarding as opening a person up to God's love and truth. I believe Hybels is right. We want to see God use us in others' lives to bring them to faith in Christ. Yet, most of us would say that there's no part of our mission from Christ where we fail more than in sharing our faith. In the Mission Focused Men for Christ podcast, we will return repeatedly over the months to the task of being equipped to be more effective in our efforts to share Christ with the lost. Today's podcast is devoted to overcoming one myth about sharing our faith. Many view the process of sharing our faith something like this. It's having the courage to overcome every piece of emotional intelligence we've learned about relationships and intruding into the life of a coworker to tell someone who doesn't want to hear it the gospel message that they're a sinner and need a savior and being willing to suffer criticism if we're accused of being preachy. This understanding of evangelism may come from our reading of Acts 8.4. After the church is scattered because of persecution, back in verse 1, we see in verse 4 the whole church evangelizing. Euangelizo, from which we get evangelism, is the Greek word in Acts 8.4. However, Acts 8.4 is translated, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. In other words, Evangelizo is erroneously translated preach. John Leonard observes that the traditional view of evangelism might be very shaped by this word preach, which focuses on delivering content. He writes, traditional evangelism only takes place when we drive home our point over and over again. When we do all the talking, we have gotten the impression that on every page of the New Testament, we are commanded to preach the gospel. We know what preaching looks like because we see it in the church. The model for traditional evangelism looks a lot like what preachers do on Sunday mornings. Leonard then identifies two problems with this mistaken view of evangelism. Number one, linking evangelism to preaching in our minds raises the bar so high that most of us feel unable to do it. How can we talk intelligently for 30 minutes about any subject, much less the Bible? Number two, we don't share our faith because preaching is seen negatively in the culture. And we've all said, don't preach at me or preach to yourself. 
The one-way communication style of preaching doesn't communicate that you care much about the person you're speaking to. Instead, this style is associated with a holier-than-thou attitude. So this understanding of how to share the gospel actually closes the hearts of people to Christ. But as we've seen, this misunderstanding of how to share the gospel is based on the mistranslation of Acts 8.4. The word translated preach is not the word caruso, the normal word for preach, meaning to herald or to proclaim or to announce. Rather, the word in Acts 8.4, evangelizo, means to bring good news. In fact, later in the same chapter, in Acts 8, 26, 40, the same word, evangelizo, is used not to refer to preaching, but to describe Philip's interactive conversation with the Ethiopian eunuch, which began with Philip asking the Ethiopian eunuch a question. Faithfulness to your call to share your faith is not preaching. And it is not primarily seeking an opening to push the content of the gospel into another's life. Nor does faithfulness to the call to be sharing your faith require you to violate everything you've learned about relationships. Jesus wrote the book on emotional intelligence. Now, Jesus spoke harshly to the scribes and the Pharisees, but that's because Christ, the anointed one, filled the office of prophet, God's prosecuting attorney to convict his people of their sin. John the baptizer filled a similar role. That is not the way Jesus interacted with others in his everyday relationships. Instead, he lived out the commandment to love others and modeled the pattern for communication given to us in verses like Proverbs 16:21, which says the wise of heart is called discerning and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. In Proverbs 16.23, the heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Proverbs 16.24, gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. The idea that sharing our faith means ignoring everything you've learned about appropriate behavior in relationships and finding an opening to intrude into someone's life to deliver the gospel message is not Jesus' idea of sharing him with others. He wants you to wisely impact your coworkers for him. So let's look at four ways to maximize our influence for Christ with our coworkers. A young life leader might call these winning the right to be heard. So the first way to maximize our influence for Christ with our coworkers is to be focused. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, and his followers are to be like him. Now, I don't know about you, but I have lost this focus. I too easily walk right past lost folks without caring that they need Christ. This past week, I read the account in 2 Kings 7 of the Syrian siege of Samaria. There were four starving lepers by the city gate who reasoned that they could either starve to death in the city or go over to the Syrian camp in the hopes of their lives being spared, which they decided to do. When they went into the enemy camp, they discovered that, unknown to the Israelites, the Syrians had been spooked and had left in the middle of the night to return to defend their nation, Syria, leaving behind all kinds of food and riches. 
The lepers gorged themselves and carried piles of silver and gold and clothing to hide for themselves. But eventually one of them came to his senses. He said, we are not doing right. This day is a day of good news. And they went back to the city to share their good news. I am way too much like the way those lepers started out. I am eating lavishly, enjoying the blessings of knowing Christ, including tremendous blessings for my family, and my selfish heart just doesn't care enough about the lost to be devoted to sharing the good news with them. For me, effectiveness in sharing Christ begins with asking Christ to give me his heart for the lost. Now, the second reason that we need focus in our outreach efforts is that people who need Christ are everywhere around us. So when we're motivated to do a better job of sharing our faith, we don't know where to start. Here's a strategy for staying focused, a strategy that that works. Number one, consider four spheres of influence in your life, Uh, your workplace, your neighborhood, your extended family and your non-Christian friends, maybe from high school or college. Preferably ask God to put two or three from those categories on your heart. Number two, put them on your prayer list and regularly pray for opportunities to talk about spiritual things. This is a crucial step because the biggest impact in sharing Christ that we have comes over time from little conversations that open a person's heart to Christ. Without putting their names on our prayer list, at least for me, I lose focus and I go months before thinking about them again. Consequently, very little progress is made. Number three, find a brother to be supporting these efforts in prayer. Our ministry helps men get connected over a series of what we call check six questions. The fifth question is, who are the non-believers you are building relationships with and how can I pray for your strategy to share Christ with them? Now, that is a prayer that I have seen that God loves to answer, and I wish I had time to share many of those stories, which I will at some point. So maximizing your influence for Christ with coworkers begins with intentionality, with focus. Identify several, ask Christ to burden you for them, pray consistently for opportunities to show them Christ-like love and to discuss spiritual things. The second way to maximize our influence for Christ in the workplace is to be an interested listener. We often think that effective evangelism requires looking for someone to share the gospel with. But a wiser approach, especially in the 21st century, is not looking for people to talk to, but looking for people to listen to. Listening to them well will open a window to their soul. Listening is the starting point. Because listening well to another lets him or her know we care. All it takes to let another know we care is to say, Hi, how's your day going so far? In such a way that they know we have the time and are willing to listen to an answer that is longer than just fine. John Leonard, in his book, Get Real, Sharing Your Everyday Faith Every Day, writes, we listen more than we speak, not only to communicate real care and concern, but because listening will help us know what the Lord wants us to say to the person that he has brought across our path. The gospel begins with the person you're speaking to. 
We must listen more than we speak so that we might understand the person God has brought into our lives. As they speak about the immediate problems they're facing or questions they have, we should be listening and praying, asking our Lord to help us. Our entire response should be based on the information we heard from the people we are listening to. Here's a very practical way to be interested in some other people. When you notice that someone has tattoos, you might say, I like your tattoos. I bet they have special meaning to you. Behind every tattoo, there's a story, and wearing the story on their skin presents a great opportunity for us to express an interest in the person God has brought across our path. A friend of mine, Al Dayhoff, shares the story of a conversation he had with a waitress in a silver diner in Pennsylvania. He had asked whether her tattoos had special meaning. He tells the story. They all have meaning, she said with a soft voice. These are the names of my two children, as she rolled back her sleeve and pointed to her left shoulder. She stopped and now returned the same still gaze to me as if to say, I can say more if you want me to. There was a baby wrapped in a blanket with just her tiny face showing below these two names. And the baby, I asked? I miscarried her in the eighth month, nine years ago. I didn't want to forget her. Tattoos are almost always an open invitation to get beneath the surface in conversations with someone Christ might want you to share him with. Another great opportunity to be an interested listener is to notice when a person shares a medical concern or death in the family. This is a great opportunity to ask, would you mind if I prayed for the surgery or comfort for the bereaved? Of course, we need to follow through and pray and remember to ask how things are going. It may be trite, but it is true of our non-Christian friends and associates. They don't care what you know until they know that you care. And care begins with good listening. Thirdly, to maximize our influence for Christ, be winsome. Randy Newman, a staff member of Crew, was leading a weekend retreat on how to share your faith. The students yawned their way through the first session, how to make a clear presentation of the gospel, and the second session, clarifying misconceptions about the gospel. But his third presentation on how to be winsome got their attention. They listened alertly to Randy share his story of reaching out to David. Now, David had not been responsive to Randy's presentation of the gospel, so Randy changed his tactics. This was his story. I shared what I now call my so what testimony. I talked about my experience of being a Christian, of how I now sense a purpose and meaning to life, of how I never feel alone, and how because I feel accepted by God, I more willingly accept other people. I told how being a Christian makes my marriage better and gives me a clear conscience and fills me with a sense of optimism and hope. Then I asked how he was adjusting to his new environment. I was genuinely concerned. I listened. Through his rambling answer, he indicated that he hadn't made many friends, that he liked classical music, and he hated the cafeteria food. Then I invited him to play volleyball with us the next night. He could meet some people, eat some watermelon, and have some fun, and we wouldn't do any preaching. Well, David came to the volleyball night and shortly afterwards started attending a Bible study. Randy then turned to his audience on the evangelistic retreat and said to them, 
The things I learned from Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, did more to move David closer to the cross than anything I'd learned from evangelism seminars. In today's world, Carnegie's nine principles would be called emotional intelligence. Think of them as general revelation about being winsome. These are those principles shared many years ago, but still so relevant to building relationships. Number one, don't criticize, condemn, or complain. Number two, give honest, sincere appreciation. Third, arouse in another person an eager want, what Randy did in his testimony. Four, become genuinely interested in people. Five, smile. Six, remember that a person's name is to that person the sweetest and most important sound in any language. Seven, be a good listener. Eight, talk in terms of the other person's interests. Nine, make the other person feel important and do it sincerely. I believe the Gospels show that Jesus exhibited most of these characteristics in his personal encounters with others, though not perhaps in his prophetic role. The point is that evangelism is not violating what your relational radar is telling you about what is appropriate. To the contrary, it is expressing interest in one Christ has caused to cross your path in order to win the right to be heard. The fourth way to maximize your impact for Christ with your coworkers is this. Be real. Most Christians wrestle with the fact that they are not the example of Christ that they should be, and they know how much hypocrisy is despised in our culture. We feel like if we were better Christians, people would see the Lord in us, and they would give their lives to Christ. Our failures make us reticent to share our faith. But what we don't realize is that despite our failures, the opposite is the case. Many non-Christians don't believe they can be Christians because they're not good enough. The truth is that seeing our imperfections and owning them actually gives hope to others that they could be Christ followers like us. When we are not honest about our failures and doubts about Christianity, we actually create barriers to others coming to faith. A Christ follower is one who knows his abject spiritual poverty, who constantly cries, I believe, Lord, but help my unbelief. John Leonard is profoundly correct when he observes, we want people to see Jesus in us when it would be so much better if they instead saw someone in need of Jesus. As someone has said, evangelism is one blind beggar sharing the good news with another blind beggar of where he can find bread. To summarize, in this episode, the goal was to destroy the myth that sharing our faith means violating our relationships with non-Christians. To the contrary, it is being as winsome as possible in order to win the right to be heard. We do that first by changing our focus, praying for a Christ-like heart for the lost, and being intentional about staying focused on those Christ puts on our hearts. It is then being interested listeners being winsome in our relationships, and being real about our struggles with our faith. For further thought, here are some questions. Number one, to be effective at sharing Christ, what steps do you need to take to be more focused? 
Number two, how could you be a more interested listener at work this week? Number three, how could you be more winsome in your relationship with the lost? Next week, we continue the series, Making a Difference for Christ in the Workplace, looking at how to wisely steer our conversations with the lost. For further information about our ministry, go to forgingbonds.org. And if this podcast has been helpful to you, don't forget to tell other Christian men about a podcast that helps them stay focused on their mission to honor Christ with their lives.